Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S dot C-O, and linkshus.com, where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi, Claudia. Hello. Great to hear from you. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. It's mm. uh, morning, Sunday morning in Sweden. Yes, it's Sunday morning in Sweden, and I think it's in the afternoon in Singapore for Sunday afternoon. So I am talking to Claudia Olsen, an entrepreneur who founded several startups and an advisor to the Swedish government on technologies. And she's also the leader of the year in Sweden for 2011. And But there's actually a very important reason why she's here, because she has extensive experience in Asia on the subject of healthcare. And that was where we met in Singapore. Claudia, you have an illustrious career and great experience. Probably I always like to start off with how do you get started in the area that actually intersects between business, technology and innovation? Well, I've always been very curious about how the world works in different ways, how different events and how societal functions and how nations are interlinked. And to understand that, I have seen that you need to understand and study different disciplines. So you need to understand how technology, how business, how politics uh, interact. I've always sought out roles where I can make a difference with my work and to solve societal problems. And to do that, it has really required an understanding of the different areas and the intersection of business, technology and innovation. In the process of your career, what are the very interesting lessons that you have learned from doing different startups, I mean, advising the Swedish government and even working in Asia through Access Healthcare? I've learned so many lessons, but I think that the key ones are that one should really pursue one's passion and have the courage to to do that. I have very often traveled quite unbeaten paths, both when I chose to work with Access Health International to move across the world to, to work in India and in Singapore, but also when I attended the Singularity University, which was then basically unknown. It was a very new initiative. I've often tried very new things and I followed my passion and curiosity instead of perhaps doing what uh, and following more conventional career paths. And for that, that, for me, that has made a tremendous difference because it has exposed me to fantastic new opportunities. And it has also given me the opportunity to build the skills and competence that, that, are, that stand out and are quite different and which I hope will be able to contribute a lot to different corporations and to the society going forward as innovations are based more on the intersection of different fields. Innovation itself is a very interesting concept. I mean, from your perspective looking at different types of innovation what's your definition of innovation itself and is it incremental or a big step transition like an exponential view in the way how Singularity University views it? Well, for me, innovation is always basically a catalyst to growth. And I always think that innovation should be measured by the change it brings and the actual impact. And 
does, it can often take a longer time for an innovation to develop and for us to fully understand the consequences of an innovation. And I think that the reason to why we have a lot of technologies that sometimes get very hyped in the beginning and then people get a bit disappointed because they're not as groundbreaking as fast as people expect them to be is because we expect innovations to have a very sharp and immediate effect. And instead, most technologies that truly have a transformative effect, they take at least a few years to, to reach their full potential. So I think that patience is important in evaluating innovations. I believe that a lot of innovation in the coming years will happen not only through new technologies and new inventions, but also when technologies and existing solutions are applied to new areas. And where we see when experts from different areas meet each other and see new applications for existing solutions. And I think that will drive a lot of innovations going forward. I have the fortune to know you. I know I found out that you are the first Swedish person to join the Singularity University. So before I get to that, I probably wanted to get you to introduce a little bit about what the Singularity University do and what are the interesting areas of innovation that you have seen in there? Yeah, so I was the, the first student to attend the Singularity University Graduate Studies Program. And the Graduate Studies Program focuses on uh, exponential technology development. So what they do is to expose the participants to exponential technologies like artificial intelligence, robotics, and nanotech, biotech, and newer science, understanding of additive manufacturing, just to mention a few. And what the participants do is to they learn about basically the potential applications of these different technologies and also how they can be applied to solve global challenges. And these technologies truly have a, a great potential going forward in terms of the impact it can have on energy, on poverty, on healthcare, education, environment. And we have seen that from the university, there have been a lot of uh, very interesting solutions coming out and interesting startups where people are working on groundbreaking new solutions for society. For example, we've had the company Made in Space that was uh, inspired through Singularity University, which is focusing on enabling uh, 3D printing in space. Uh, they actually installed the a 3D printer at the International Space Station just a year ago. And they see 3D printing as not only a manufacturing method, but also a transportation method, where you in digital forms can transport one good from, from Earth to space or on the Earth uh, in a much faster way. And this is groundbreaking because it, it enables us to conduct, for example, space research much more cost efficiently. Another company which I've been very impressed by is a company that is looking at how you can apply drone technology for transportation of medicine, vaccines, and uh, of different goods uh, to, to remote areas. It's a, call, a company called Matternet, which was also inspired by Singularity University. We've had groups working with the university, such as Modern Meadow, which basically looks at how you can 3D print leather, how you could potentially 3D print meat in the future to basically have a better climate effect through the production of these goods rather than the livestock handling that we have in the world today. Uh, and we've also had a lot of digital health companies that are groundbreaking in the way they look at creating non-invasive and easy-to-use tests 
uh, and early detection uh, systems for different diseases, such as cancer, for example. So it's a, it's a university which truly really looks at different technological developments and how they could potentially be used in the coming years to have a positive impact in the world. So you have been an advisor currently to the global grand challenges to the Singularity University. So what are the interesting areas that are now most innovators are looking into? Well, you know, it's, it's very interesting how the Singularity University came about because they saw that uh, Silicon Valley and Singularity and, and the area in Silicon Valley was attracting a lot of innovators that came to the valley to make a difference and they started working on to try to build companies such as Facebook or Google or solutions that already existed and uh, often they would focus on working on something in uh, social media or communication platforms instead of focusing on the huge challenges that we still face in the world and which are preventing people to reach a high and um, good enough living standard. So Singularity University focused on exposing innovators and entrepreneurs to actual pressing problems where people don't have access to clean water or to food or cannot support themselves because of the lack of uh, basic infrastructure in the society. So now Singularity University is trying to encourage and, and expose the innovators through these huge challenges and trying to make them work on solving big global problems. These might be in, in detecting contaminants in water and mapping clean water and finding solutions against poverty and finding more uh, cost efficient and high quality solutions in healthcare, for example. Through those challenges, basically they get the all those people who take up the Global Solutions Program to try to find solutions. Do most of them usually eventually go and build their own startups or you know maybe just continue to pursue their passion? Yes, I would say many of them do, uh, not necessarily only through startups, but also as entrepreneurs in different organizations. The mission of the university is that the, the participants that go through the program should uh, try to impact at least 1 billion lives in a positive way in 10 years. And since they are working towards that goal, many of them do create startups in the space and others go back to their organizations and innovate from within. And others work in the field of policy where they can have a tremendous impact by uh, more efficient policy making. So now I'm going to come to talk to you about your experience in Asia, because that's where we met. You spent a few years with Access International Healthcare via Singapore and India. What is your role there and what have you learned about Asia in the area of healthcare in general? Yes. So I was recruited by William Hasseltine, who is a great scientist, and he was one of the great scientists behind the sequencing of the human genome. And I helped him to set up the regional office for Access Health International in Singapore. And I also worked to help set up the organization in India and Philippines and even in Sweden. And the organization works to identify and help scale up efficient healthcare solutions. What we did was to conduct healthcare implementation research, to write publications, uh, to organize seminars. But we also focus a lot on creating platforms for knowledge exchange. So, for example, during my time, I came up and conceptualized the, the idea of the platform for entrepreneurs to develop solutions for the elderly. And we call this solution Modern Aging. And it has now been implemented in Singapore and it's running currently. And it basically brings together innovators to think about the 
problems and needs of the aging populations. But Access also worked with other platforms. For example, we helped set up the Health Market Innovations platform. And the Health Market Innovations platform basically highlights and describes different efficient healthcare uh, delivery models. And they are written about on this platform and the different entrepreneurs are connected to each other so that efficient solutions can be scaled up and so that different stakeholders in the healthcare system can learn from each other. We've also done that on a, a bit of a higher level involving the governments to, to join in something called the Joint Learning Network, which brings together healthcare leaders from countries that are basically in the process of building and, and shaping their healthcare systems. And we've been bringing them together to focus on how they can work with quality improvement, technology, provider payer mechanisms, and to work for better access to healthcare. I work within the areas of healthcare and I would say that in general, I learned that Asia is extremely dynamic. There is a wealth of talented people. And I also very much appreciate that a lot of the countries, a lot of the population is very humble about their knowledge and is still very willing to learn from other countries and nations, bringing in knowledge, studying best practices from other areas and implementing them. And I think that's very admirable. Uh, and many countries should work uh, in such a way that they, they constantly look for improvements for other countries that they, they truly visit other innovators and, and try to bring the knowledge back home to improve the system. I also learned that, which I very much appreciated, that many Asian countries, entrepreneurs and knowledge is celebrated in all ages. And I think that many Asian countries are role models in the ways that uh, the countries treat their senior citizens and the opportunities that they provide. And that's something many other countries could learn from in the world. And any interesting kind of best practices on the healthcare side that actually can be met back from Asia to the Western world, for example? So many, yes. I think there are a lot of opportunities for learning. We have, for example, I in Singapore, I've been very impressed by the education system at Duke NUS, for example, which I think that many other universities and countries could learn from, where students are encouraged to conduct team-based learning instead of just a classical learning with a lecture and, and their own intake of information, and where problem solving is an extremely important part of the program, because we're moving towards a world where a lot of information will be very easily accessed at your fingertips or through your Google Glass or potentially other solutions and where instead the, the big challenge for the doctors will be how to solve problems and how to see how different events are interlinked. And that's something that the Duke NUS model is uh, preparing the students for, which I think many other countries could learn from. I've also been very impressed by the work uh, to develop telehealth solutions that is uh, happening in Singapore. For example, at the, I study solutions linked to the Kutek Pat Hospital, where telehealth is uh, applied to help take care of the elderly. And I think that that's truly a solution for the coming years and to enable and to, to help the elderly so that they don't have to travel to hospitals, undertake cumbersome transportation to get the best care, but instead using telehealth solutions to take care of the elderly. I've also been impressed by the many test bed solutions that Singapore has developed for both in healthcare but for other areas where you can truly try out technologies and see what will potentially work uh, on the ground and how you could improve it. And I think that that's uh, fantastic to, to enable uh, entrepreneurs and innovators to 
try out their ideas and solutions in good and controlled environments. Something which I also think that many other countries could learn from is Singapore's work and to create a sustainable health financing system. A lot of countries are struggling with creating health financing systems that are cost efficient and which are able to provide a high quality of care to many individuals. And what Singapore does really well is to engage citizens in sharing the responsibility for their own health. And I think that is done by cost sharing, but also through information and through knowledge about what different procedures, etc., cost. And I think that going forward, the patients will both through technology and, and through the system globally be encouraged to take a much greater responsibility for their own health and become co-creators of health. And I think that Singapore, for example, is already ahead in this. If we look at the, also other countries in Asia, for example, I've been very impressed by how Japan is applying robotics to help the elderly and to create assisted living solutions. I think that the technology could truly help us with, and uh, robots can truly help us with the tasks that we humans perceive as dirty, dull, and dangerous. This space, robotics can truly have a transformative power. And I see that Japan has already applied that a lot to, to elderly care and to healthcare. So I think many countries could follow that example. I am also very impressed by several healthcare solutions in India, where different delivery models focused on a high volume of patients to a low cost. And develop specialized high-quality methods to take care of the patients. This is something that I think many other healthcare systems could learn from because it truly becomes a cost-efficient model where you focus on providing the care that is needed in a very efficient way. Are there any interesting trends and observations about Asia that you can also share on the general term? Yes. For example, during the past year, when I was working with our Ministry for Foreign Affairs here in Sweden, I had the opportunity to do a lot of studies in uh, robotics and the potential impact that robotics will have on society and our work. And that led me to study a lot of the implementations that are being done in China, in Japan, in South Korea. And for example, in South Korea, I thought it was very, very interesting how the government is working with fostering and understanding and development of robotics on all levels. So what they have done is everything from implementing robotic system, having robotic teachers at kindergartens and schools. I think there are more than 2,000 kindergarten schools that now have a robot that is helping to teach English. And they've also had robotic focus in, in schools. They organize robotic competitions. They create master schools that, which have robotics as a focus. And they also uh, create clusters to focus the robotic development. And I think that all these initiatives and these investments will mean that robotics will become a very important part of the, of the future in many Asian countries and many countries worldwide. And that uh, both South Korea, Japan and China are positioning themselves and Singapore as well to become leaders in this field. So I think that this will be an important trend going forward, how the automation will impact more parts of our life and society. You serve as the senior advisor to the Ministry for Foreign Affairs for Sweden for a while. I guess one of the things I do know, because we catch up sometime last year when you drop by Singapore, that you're looking at technology and trends. So what are the interesting areas that you have provided long-term strategic analysis for the Swedish government? Well, one of the first things I did with my colleague was to observe and to try to understand how 
the world is developing during the coming decade. So what we did was basically to publish a report on what the world will, is expected to look like 2025 and what major trends we can observe in this. And of course, technology was an important factor that would impact both policy, societies, and companies. And we also see that the growing influence of China on global markets will have a significant impact on, on how what the world looks like in 2025. And I particularly looked at robotics, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and big data, and the digitalization of society, and looked at how basically this might impact uh, future labor markets, what kind of new jobs might be created, and the opportunities it brings ahead. Because there's a lot of discussions currently in many countries that robotics, for example, is, is replacing jobs, uh, quickly impacting the, the labor market. So the question is, where do we focus uh, in the coming years to uh, make use of all the opportunities and to be able to improve the global living standard through technology, for example? Mm. And also the redesign of jobs, because technology is already displacing labor. I mean, today we have all these artificial intelligence and deep learning that would have an impact to public policy as well. Exactly. And what you can see is that many companies, when they're talking about that jobs are being replaced and lost, often look at the businesses of the, today and in a way assume that the businesses of today will do basically the same work going forward. And that's why the new automation systems will replace humans in the production and that jobs will be lost. But what I try to, to ask and, and think about is you know what new opportunities should businesses and could uh, businesses venture into going forward where they could actually create new job opportunities that will counterbalance the ones that are being lost by current procedures being conducted more efficiently. I'm coming to the most interesting part of the discussion, which is what you're currently doing because you're an entrepreneur, you have several startups. So I wanted to start off with the first one, which is Stellar Capacity AB, which I know the English name is Swedish for professionals. What do the organization do? Yes. So the company has been created to offer a more engaging and efficient way to learn languages. I've always been passionate about lear learning languages. I studied German, French and Japanese before I was 12 years old and I speak Polish, well, English, Swedish. Uh, so language, languages and language learning has always been an important part of my life. And I met my co-founder, Christina, who shared the vision of creating a more efficient language learning methodology. And based on both research about how our brain can be encouraged to, to take in information languages the most efficient way and, and based on learning which is enhanced by through different creative exercises and supported by digital tools and a, a gamified platform as well, uh, we created the, the program for basically international talent that is moving to Sweden and wishes to learn Swedish. And what we do is that we help individuals to learn Swedish by using engaging and innovative and creative methods and we have language coaches that teach the individuals and we also have a supporting digital platform and it's amazing to see how engaged our participants become and how what a difference we can make for all the international talent that is moving to Sweden so that they become more integrated in the society because also in our language programs we include a lot of cultural introduction and explanations for how to best navigate the Swedish business and society. So it's actually helping internationals to actually come learn Swedish and come to Sweden for work or for other professional opportunities, I suppose. 
Exactly. So if we have listeners now that are interested in moving to Sweden, please contact us for fantastic <laughs> Swedish introduction. <laughs> okay, definitely put a link to that. So the other thing that you also been doing is consulting. You have a consulting group as well. I remember you set it up in Singapore and also in Sweden. So what does the consulting group do and how does it do innovation work for company, government and ac- academia? Yes. So the consultancy is very much based on my work, both with Singularity University and understanding and communicating the potential impact of different exponential technologies for different organizations. And it's also based on the work I've been doing with our Swedish government in terms of understanding technological trends and their potential impact. So what we do is that we work with international corporations, we work with academia, we work with the government to help advise on how specific technological trends are impacting their business and the society. We've been looking at everything from artificial intelligence, robotics, we're looking at the blockchain, we're looking at synthetic biology. And we help different actors to navigate in this fast-changing environment. What we also do is that we are currently working with a foundation called the Global Challenges Foundation, where we are managing a very interesting program focused on basically helping to improve global governance. And the Global Challenges Foundation has a strong focus on identifying and helping stakeholders globally to understand risk and the risk that we're facing on a global level. Uh, so it's everything from climate risk to the risk that we're facing because of political insecurity, political violence, but also looking at technological risk, for example. And the foundation works to identify these risks to help people understand it, but they are also very focused on trying to identify solutions to handle these risks. And one of the most important solutions that need to that need to be improved and that perhaps need reform is in terms of the current global governance system. The United Nations was created 70 years ago and it has had a fantastic and very important impact in the world. But the world is changing quickly and to ensure that the global governance system of the future will be able to handle also future challenges, we need to identify methods to contribute to efficient global governance system. So that is what we're working on with the foundation in terms of helping to identify more efficient global governance methods to support or complement the United Nations. In that case, what you do is that you invite basically academics or Uh, people out there to sort of come up with and maybe an alternative governing model or maybe certain models to actually add on and complement the United Nations model. Is that how I understand the global challenge? Exactly. And what we're doing is to identify thought leaders, not definitely from academia, but not only from academia. We are also looking for thought leaders and, and change makers from other areas that have good ideas that could potentially be implemented and where the foundation could uh, support this. Obviously, using a good governance model to solve a lot of world problems today, like, for example, poverty, for example, water and of course, climate change as well. Yes. So after all that you have done, so just coming back to the conversation, I have one penultimate question to ask you. In your perspective, what would be the in the next five years? What do you think will be one of the biggest changes in the in the world? Wow, that's a big question. I think that one of the biggest changes that we see going forward is that we, on a global scale, need better coordination because currently in the world we are experiencing one of the biggest refugee crises we have had. We are experiencing climate change and climate impact. We are experiencing a lot of global challenges that are in many ways are increasing and being aggravated. And on a global scale, what we need is better global 
coordination to be able to prevent these challenges. So I see that in the coming years, there will be a greater global demand for better global coordination and that more people will start and working and contribute towards that. That's a pretty interesting insight. So Claudia, help my audience. How do they find you? You can find me through my website, cloudelson.com. I have a Twitter account, which is quite new. You will find me at Claudia underscore Olson. I'm also present on LinkedIn and I'm looking forward to connecting to, to other channels Changemakers. Cool. You can find me at bernardong.com or at bleongcw or subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and Acast. You can also follow us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. We can be found in Quick Product Hunt and Reddit. So once again, Claudia, thank you very much for coming to our show and I will look forward to speak to you again. Thank you very much.